I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Desert Isolation Discs, the show in which, in a cheekily familiar format, we ask people to share the music that they love the most. Thank you so much for listening, it's really appreciated, and if you're interested in appearing on the show, do drop me a line. I'm so pleased to be able to introduce James Heather. As communications boss at South London independent record label Ninja Tune, he's in charge of ensuring as many people hear the label's incredible roster, as, roster of artists as possible. He's worked with the likes of Bonobo, Cinematic Orchestra, and Roots Maneuver, the list goes on and on. And it's really impressive how Ninja has grown while he's been there, uh, from just a handful of people in South London office, to having operations either side of the Atlantic, and being one of the most respected imprints of this generation. Over the podcast, we'll discuss Ninja's impact on his life, stepping into his artist's shoes and sharing his own excellent piano compositions, one of which is playing now, and his stints on watch for Somali pirates and playing drum and bass gigs in old people's homes. So without further ado, here it is. Yeah, so James, uh, fantastic to be able to sit in a pub with you over a pint and talk about music. I can't think of anything better to do with an afternoon. Thank you for being a guest on Desert Isolation Discs. Um, Thank you. Real pleasure. Um, I can only imagine the turmoil that you went through to put together a list like this. It, it took a long time. Yeah. yeah it, took a, it took a long time, and I, I do like, as many people, I think, a lot of styles. But um, I, got there, I got there in the end, and I think it's a good overview. Yeah. Of, but I'm still not happy with it. <laughs> it's not my eight best songs. Mm. It's eight songs, I think, you know, important to me and yes. just to signpost a, a life. What's the first signpost on that journey for you? It's Beethoven, Piano Sonata Number no. 8 in C minor, Pathétique, I think that's how you uh, pronounce it, mm. The Grave Allegro. It's one of my earliest memories of listening to music. Mm. So it would have been um, roughly 1991. Mm. So I would have been 11. Yeah. And I just, I remember just listening to it, actually, kind of through the night, mm. you know. So in the middle of the night, I'd, mm. I'd listen to his piano sonatas. And then I, I think from that time, I subscribed to a great composer's magazine. It was like a series of magazines that came yeah. out every month mm-hmm. about a different composer. Yeah. And it was also about their life stories. It was quite a human mm human stories of each composer and I think that's where I got my interest that beyond the music there's always a story yeah he started to go deaf shortly after writing this song at 27 mm. and eventually retreated into into the countryside because yeah. he didn't want it imagine being a composer and, and deaf it's kind of possibly embarrassing you don't want people to know mm. and uh, so he retreated and he wrote even more great works but um yeah, I, I just find that very interesting. Eventually he came back and yeah. 
integrated with society again. Yeah. You sound like a very sophisticated 11-year-old. Well, <laughs> what, what was the 11-year-old I mean, I did, I did listen to a lot of shit as well. <laughs> but obviously, I'm trying to, what, trying, what to trying to put off, across a good side of, <laughs> you know, I'm kind of a, good, a good polish to what I listen to. I also listen to things like um, Mel and Kim and Prefab Sprout. And, I, can, I, I mean, that, that's not shit. Anyway, but. <laughs> um, and what, what were you doing at that time? Were you, uh, where did you live and, and grow up? And... So that was in... Um, place called Highfield in Southampton mm. so um, yeah it's uh, we, we live near the university mm-hmm. it's quite a peaceful happy upbringing well let's, let's have a cast into your 11 year old loves and uh, listen to this painting For the uninitiated, what do you do at Ninja Tunes? Uh, one of the most amazing labels in the country. Uh, it sounds like a good, good gig. Um, I'm, I guess my title is Head of Communication. Mm. Um, I started off doing press, and mm. I still do press. Um, but I get, you know, communicating music to the public isn't just press, obviously. Mm. There's, there's different elements to it. So some of my, I'm part of the marketing team. Yeah. I oversee the social media and yes. started when that started in 2006 so I was you know helping out on that side of things and yeah. so much more but essentially communications I mean for you know for people who are lucky enough not to be inside the media bubble that they probably don't really understand how that works though, but you you have to essentially tell um, thick journalists like me when a great <laughs> piece of music is about to arrive and why they should be interested in it. And I mean, how do you communicate yeah. what it sounds like? I mean, it's you're, incredibly hard. You're telling well. stories, really. You're, mm. you're getting the piece of, you know, in the main, we're promoting albums. Mm. Obviously, it could be live shows or it could be something more art. But yeah. you're, you're communicating that on behalf of the artist mm. to the industry. Yeah. And rather than just give it to them in a, in a dry way, you're, you're, you're telling, you're trying to find the interesting stories behind it. Yeah. And you know, hopefully with credibility, you know. Yeah. So, what's your second choice? I can remember I was in my in my back garden, and in my next door neighbour's house upstairs, a window was open, and there was like this sort of booming music mm. coming out of it, really loud, and quite a lot of sort of rowdy characters in the room. Yeah. And I was like, "What is that?" And I found it interesting, you know. Yeah. And I knew my next door neighbours at that point, but. It wasn't until I was like 13 I became sort of friends with them. They're a bit older than me, mm. three years and five years older. Mm. You know, great friends to this day, Matt and Andy. But um, basically, Matt was running a pirate radio station from his bedroom. And I remember going through, you know, his crates. Yeah. You know, because he used to run this pirate radio station and there was a lot of um, Aphex went in there. 
yeah, and didgeridoo is one that I really sort of picked up on, and um, and it was live in Cornwall. So the track, yeah, Aphex were in didgeridoo live in Cornwall, nineteen ninety. Yeah. Um, and just that, like being twelve, thirteen. Just obviously, I can't go to a rave on a beach. No. At, in Cornwall when I'm that age, but <laughs> you can imagine people doing it, Absolutely. and and that makes uh, it's quite romantic in a way. He was asked by his mates who were doing these after parties on the beach in Cornwall to do a track that would basically finish everyone off. Yeah. Just like, you know, do a track where they can't dance anymore at the end. So it's just this real, you know, intense didgeridoo just going for like five minutes and everyone at the end just goes home. Thank you very much for that, James. Fantastic. Um, so, can you tell us a little bit more about Ninja Tunes? How, how has it evolved since you've been there? We're just up the road from the house that Ninja built itself uh, in Kennington, South yeah. London, um, which is obviously the spiritual and actual home yeah. of Ninja it's not, it's not been the same since you left as an intern, really. No, I mean, so it's, it's, I've, it's I've been lost a... a lot of hair since then, James. <laughs> yeah, since you left as an intern, it's just gone down, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you yourself started the similar route. Yeah, mm. yeah. So I started in, I believe it was January two thousand and three, mm. as work experience. Um, while I was um, so you were a fan of Colca and all the guy DJ Food and all the guys who made that. Oh yeah, what it was. Yeah, I mean, I remember um, when I was applying to to labels, I applied to maybe eight, eight to ten labels, and I. Maybe as a lot of people do at that age, but mm. I just went through my CD collection and I think I was actually quite surprised at the time. I was like, so many of these artists are from Ninja Tune, and I didn't necessarily mm. know the label. I knew the artists, whereas now I'm fascinated by labels. I mean, I've been um, writing for the student paper. I'd interviewed um, Roots Maneuver Fantastic. fairly uh, recently. Yeah. And I'd just done work experience at Enemy and Mojo. Mm. So I, I put all that, you know, I put photocopies and... And Rodney Smith must have been, you know, a pretty prestigious interview to get at, at that. Yeah, at that 21, age, you know, 22. Yeah. yeah, I interviewed him backstage at the Concord too, and mm-hmm. obviously, nice. like, I promote him now, and yeah. so it's a big part he of... He remembers the interview with fondness, I presume. Oh, yeah, but he's, yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> much, much fondness. We, we, we talk about it all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think I was still at uni, and I did one one or two days a week mm-hmm. to travel down on the um, 243 bus mm-hmm. from Tottenham. 
yeah. all the way down to Kennington. I think I remember listening to All Things to All Men mm. with Cinematic Orchestra yeah. featuring Rita Nuva on the bus on that journey. So, and then while I was doing work experience, I was asked to go on tour mm. with the band mm. doing the merch desk in Europe for a week when I was supposed to be doing my dissertation. So, <laughs> like, so then I became, you know, friendly with the band and... Yeah, and I'd set up the merch desk and I'd, I'd get the band to sign the Ninja Tune Rizzler yeah. and then sell them off for more money. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, you know... Quality the ba- merch. The band joked I made more than them, but I didn't, I didn't obviously. But, um, you know, I was sort of... You know what you're like in your early 20s. You're just sort of super keen and mm. you just... You know, you just want to make the most of every opportunity and yeah. that's what was going on then, really. And mm. then... When I finished uni, I was, was going to run for student, you know, the editor of the paper. Yeah. But then Ninja offered me, like, a press assistant role. Mm. And I was like, oh, I didn't know what to do. And <laughs> of, I'm in an errand. But, I mean, obviously I had to take the Ninja, yeah. the Ninja thing. So what's the third piece of music you've got? Yeah, so the third piece of music is uh, from 1994. It's Diggable Planets, Jetting. I mean, this is just a podcast, a big up my friend Matt, really, because... <laughs> because also he introduced me to, to this track. I remember one day he, he, he had some Christmas money or something. He said, we're yeah. going um, CD shopping. Yeah. So I accompanied him, and he was pulling out all these CDs, and I didn't know, you know, they were... I don't know. And he was getting a lot of hip-hop, and one of them was um, the first Fuji's album, before mm. they got big. Yeah. I think that was a Grave Diggers album, and one of them was Diggable Planets. <clears throat> Diggable Planets is something that... You know, I still listen to you to this day. Mm. It had Guru from Gangstar on it. Mm. And it's got that sort of jazz, yeah. jazz funk side to it. Mm. And I think it's a precursor to a lot of the music I got into, such as like, Jurassic 5 mm-hmm. and DJ Shadow. It gave me a bit yeah. of a, a backstory context to that scene that came a bit later. Yeah. I mean, at this time, I was really into grunge. Mm. You know, I was sort of an angsty 14-year-old and I was really into sort of rock. And How long was your so, hair, Benjamin? So I had... I mean, I used to cut my own hair sometimes. I dyed it blue, blonde. <laughs> I had... You know, it was... It was I, you know, I looked like, I looked like an Edwardian poet or something. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I like, died, like, like Lord Byron or something. Like, <laughs> <around>. <laughs> so, um, you know, I hadn't found my... Um, you know, I was slightly geeky, hadn't found no 14 I wasn't comfortable boys, yet and I was into sort of Nirvana and all this stuff and yeah, Diggable Planets was um, had a bit of funk to it, you know yeah. it's something that I think is very timeless Together with my honey like silk and soul We grow and take you back to 
like afros and no quitting or getting jumped by the system it's all day all play got verbs and such and cuts and crew no blue eyes to emulate some straight but yeah we straight up all day Obviously, the music industry has changed so much during the time that you've been working at Ninja. Do do you think that need that the, the curation that labels give you when there is so much swamping music fans online, uh, yeah. you know, is one of the most important things that an independent label can really yeah. offer? Yeah, you know, you do look to labels to funnel to if you yeah. like the last three albums the label's done. Yeah, you might take a punt on the fourth. So. Um, so I think labels are, you know, it's, a, it's nice to be able to, tr- to trust labels, isn't it? Absolutely, and Ninja Tunes is one of the ones that people really do trust. Is there a um, particular sort of culture instilled by the cold cut guys? You know, when I think about the, you know, the suits that are usually at the top of the companies that I've ever worked for, I can imagine it's very yeah. different. Well, they're not. I mean, cold cut obviously aren't suits. Mm. Um, <laughs> very much not. More, more pop so, hats. <laughs> no, I mean... There's a lot of you feel a lot of freedom there, really. You mm. do. I suppose people would probably imagine that, that you guys get the decks out every uh, every Tuesday night, but uh, <laughs> I suppose it's um, well, um, the, the, there's there's two floors at Ninja. Mm. I think I think the downstairs floor they they have a bit more fun. <laughs> they crank it yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, more, more questionable music taste. I'm with you. I'm more with questionable you. music taste, but um, <laughs> you know, more fun. But. Yeah. So what's uh, what's your fourth choice? Uh, you've got four choices. Yeah. So the fourth choice because I realised that. Basically, 90% of what I listened to in my early teens was rock music. Mm. But um, a lot of it hasn't aged that well, in my opinion. Um, but I, so I've chosen Therapy, Teeth Grinder, uh, for a few reasons. It's not necessarily my best song, but there's a few things to, to say around it. But yeah. I loved Metallica mm. and Nirvana. They were my big two. Metallica at first... I wanted to go to the Milton Keynes Stadium show, but I was too young, really. <laughs> and um, I bought the box set, 100 quid. It's a lot of money to a 13-year-old. And Nirvana, I used to listen to Bleach on the way to school. Um, and my dad bought Nevermind in 91. So I was, <laughs> but that's just too obvious, really, to talk about. So, um, yeah, I chose Therapy Teeth Grinder because um, it's got that link to punk. My dad was working at a local venue. Uh, called The Brook which put on a lot of tribute bands but also like The Stranglers came down and yeah. they did a, did a gig and and my dad's friend was a so your dad used to take you along? Or? yeah well he worked on the door mm. he was like a doorman there. yeah um, so you could definitely get him yeah I mean I, later on I worked at the bar but and my brother was like playing blues he was in blues guitar bands yeah with one of the guys that went on to be in an indie band called Delays oh I remember that so yeah. you know this is the 90s era so I was, went to school with Delays ah. and, um, and my brother knew the drummer from Coldplay mm-hmm. um, so I know Will from Coldplay from back in the day I see so I was very much in that sort of it's yeah. a different era you know and, um, and my dad's friend was uh, I don't know if he was a professional photographer yeah. too young to realise really but he was he had he had he had cameras, and he used to he used to go and meet the acts when they came to Southampton. Yeah. So I started to go along with him on occasion. Mm. So um, and I met Therapy. I met him at the Guildhall, mm. and that was around Troublegum, which yeah. was obviously their big album still yeah. to this day, I think. But Teeth Grinder was from Nurse, the first album, which was a bit more 
and my friends always joke I only like underground and not pop but like, that was like their like Nirvana's bleach to never mind I see like, yeah the therapy's nurse to ramps it up, yeah. trouble them and, and it's just like this a bit like didgeridoo it's just like one riff and it's but yeah. um, it's it, you know I think it's very credible and um, and I met loads of people I met uh, I met Liam Gallagher and Noel Gallagher mm-hmm. as a 13 year old in my school uniform my uh, dad's friend said I'm going to go meet Oasis do you want to come yeah I'm still a weird mix of shyness now but I didn't sort. I was just observing. Yeah. You know, observing really. Mm-hmm. And I was with my older brother and my dad's friend. Mm. But I remember I met um, Hugh Cornwall, mm. the um, Stranglers mm. singer. Yeah. BB um, King. Wow. Yeah, my brother and dad are really like blues uh, obsessives. Yeah, that's why I put therapy in, just because at that time I was sort of, I wasn't personally meeting these people, but I was just tagging along. And seeing these sort of famous people and getting a, a maybe that rubbed off on me in some way. Yeah, fantastic. Well, let's have a listen to therapy then. Uh, it's, a, it's a great excuse for a fantastic band. Now, away from Ninja, yeah. you, um, you actually make your own music. You're, you're a pianist, a talented pianist. And, uh, I mean, how's that? You, you mentioned you're, you can be shy. How has it been sort of stepping out from, you know, behind your own acts yeah, that I you tend promote? To, to, I tend to, to get shy and not do things where I should probably just trust my instincts <laughs> and do it. And that's what I'm trying to do recently by playing out a bit more and sharing the tracks mm. a bit more. But essentially, like, just after listening to those Beethoven tracks I started learning the piano I went to traditional lessons and did all the grades up to about six or seven when I, I gave up the grades but my granddad taught me composition yeah. um, skill I don't know how he knew it but I mean my granddad used to take apart the piano yeah. and put it back together with different tuning methods wow so like I was like and we'd sit there like writing down like stats on different frequencies of sound on taking the piano apart this is like I didn't get it but he was serious wow. <laughs> it, it made me think that you don't have to do traditional grades but mm. I did them reluctantly mm. for a while and that gave me a sort of um, 
a start. Yeah. And then my, bro- uh, my dad's friend taught me blues piano, and my gran played the piano in a kind of dreamy, Debussy-style way, but mm. she wasn't as good as my granddad, but she had a distinctive style, which is definitely in my style today. So Yeah. Um, yeah, so... I played in, like, school talent competitions when I was 11 and 12. Yeah. Always my own competitions. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I went to my traditional lessons, I used to say at the beginning to the teacher, can I play my own song for 10 minutes and can you tell me what you think? Mm. That's all I wanted. I just wanted to play my own song to the teacher. She was like, yeah, yeah, it's all right. Let's get on with the... You know, let's, you know shut up, James. Just get on. <laughs> but, um, and I, I went on a tour of Austria with the school at 13. Mm. Uh, well, I played in between the orchestra, right. but with my mate who did drum and bass. Oh, wow. So I played a piano over drum and bass, and we were going around like OAP homes in, in Austria, <laughs> which was like kind of mental when you think about what it. What was their response to that? I can't even imagine. <laughs> I was like 13, and it's really cold and like Salzburg and stuff. But... You probably interrupted the Austrian version <laughs> of Countdown. <laughs> but yeah, we did like five gigs in four days, and we were like played two tracks in the middle of the orchestra as the interval. Yeah. Like my mate just doing all this like Pesce sort of drum and bass and like <laughs> Mickey Finn and that and me doing all this yeah. classical piano and um, and then I kind of came to uni and I only had my keyboard at uni hmm. and I had a massive amp and it was just a hassle getting it anywhere and then yeah. and when I got my job at Ninja I got a bit shyer with my own music because I was around you know hmm. well, hopefully proper talent and and I got a bit. I just carried it on in the background and, yeah. you know, I always, always composed and just did it, really. But I was happy not to do it live. It yeah. seemed like too much. I just wanted to focus on my job. And, um, but how have you found playing live? Because you, you've been involved with Sofa Sound. Yeah, I got asked to do a gig a few weeks ago and it, it, it went well. I was nervous, but it, it went OK. And I'm really playing more than I ever have and... Mm. and pushing the composition levels and now I've been sharing my music and like, it's an insight into my artist's frame yeah. of mind and how they are sometimes you know sensitive about certain things mm. or because it, it's, it's, it can be hard like it's a very vulnerable position yeah you're putting your yourself out there and so uh, can you tell us about your next song then yeah so the next song is um DJ Shadow building steam with a grain of salt mm. Yeah, from uh, introducing. It was a massive thing when I heard this album. Mm. Can't even begin to explain. It was um, my friend Will Goodyear, um, who I met at Taunton's College in 96 in Southampton. Yeah. I think we just all went back to his after, uh, you know, a night out. Yeah. People were smoking and people were drinking and yeah. we, we just sat around and he put on um, introducing. Mm. And I, you know, it's obviously a blurry memory. It's 96, but... I pretty much... I don't think I've ever gone so long about talking. Like, I just sat, <laughs> just sat there. And I don't know, we all just seemed to sit there. And at the end, we all said, that was amazing. And, like, put it on again. Like, yeah. it, was, it was honestly like a, everyone sit around and listen to an album. Oh, my God, we haven't heard anything like this. And so and it just opened up a, an underground world, mm. I think, for me. And then from that, I bought, about a year later, Colcutt's album, mm. Let Us Play. And I remember opening up in my bedroom and reading the, the mad slogans, the political slogans, and yeah. I noticed Jello by Afro was on it from the Dead Kennedys, who my dad had Holiday in Cambodia mm. and all these tracks. And I was thinking, what the hell? This is like related to DJ Shadow in some way, but it's got Dead Kennedys on. And yeah. oh, wow, you can combine all these genres. I just 
you know, I think that's what happens when you get older and you mature. You realise that we aren't just in boxes and no. even genres, you can guest on different genres. Yeah, it just opened up a, a, new, a new world. And um, yeah, I also had like Handsome Boy Modelling School. Yeah. At a similar time, the track with uh, Royce Murphy, Truth. Yeah. Mm. Was a, was a big one and yeah, Keep It Unreal was just at the time Mr Scruff everyone came home from the pub you put that and it had all the, the stupid sort of funny samples yeah. and yeah and um, yeah and so I, I started to I realised something had been brewing in London I didn't know about and I liked it mm. you know and DJ Shadow had a sort of some sort of depth to it that the Ministry of Sound Dance Music didn't yeah that you know I'm not saying that that I'm sure that was deep in its own way, but at the time, it just seemed so c- complex, the DJ Khaled stuff. So, yeah. um, I guess it was almost Pink Floyd-like mm. in, in how he did it, but just for a new uh, generation. From listening to records, I just knew what to do. I mainly taught myself. And, you know, I did pretty well, except there were a few mistakes but, uh, that I made that uh, I have just recently cleared up. Continue to be able to express myself as best as I can in this room. And I feel like I have a lot of work to do still. You know, I'm a student of the drums. And I'm also a teacher of the drums, too. You So, Jane, tell us about your life away from music, then. If, if there is, if there is what I said. <laughs> you, you love football, you're a Southampton fan. Uh, yes, yeah, so basically, I'm as into football as I am to music, probably. Mm, mm. Um, but So I really use football to unwind. So, like, you know, <laughs> I, I go to, me and my mate Jack, go to an FA Cup preliminary round game every year yeah. where we just pick a random London game we're going to see like proper not even lower than non-league some, like, yeah. you know so I go to grassroots football I love to share mm. music when I was making cassette tapes all the time as a kid for my mates like mm. before I made them for girls that they didn't listen to <laughs> but um, before I made it for girls who didn't listen to the tape so I made it for um, mates if you boil life down to its simplest form mm. what I do really you don't try not to overthink it essentially I'm just doing what I did then on a much bigger scale. I'm, I'm getting an album. I've got my contact list that I've built yeah. up over the years. Yeah. And I'm thinking, who would like that? So your so, next song relates to travelling, do you say? Yeah, the track is... I've got no idea is how you pronounce it. Oki Seka. Melokon Mebun U. That isn't how you pronounce it, but that's... It sounds like you've made a good go at it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, he's a 70s Ivory Coast singer. So in 2000... I went travelling, like in a, in a, but not in a gap year. I left college. Right. I didn't know I was going to uni. I became a travel agent for 18 months. So after a year and a half, I decided oh, maybe I will go to uni. Mm. So I don't really don't say it's a gap year. It's like a wilderness year. Wilderness year. <laughs> <It's so. wilderness. laughs> yeah, and yeah. Um, I decided to go to Africa for six months. I went out to South Africa, and 
did the usual backpacking thing for a few months, you know, the hostels, and yeah. and then me being me, got a bit bored of that, and <laughs> there's got to be something more. Yeah. There's got to be something more to this, you know. I can't just be around backpackers surfing every day, doing shots, playing kit the pool. Yeah. Like, there's more, there's more. So I was like, I went down to the port mm. in Richard Bay and got on a boat mm. with a French family, paid them 100 quid, and said, can you take me to... Um, they were going to Madagascar. Yeah. So I got in this little boat. Like, yeah. no official passport being signed into the country. Yeah. And I was on the boat for a, a week, and I only had, like, a little book. I had to ration myself to 50 pages a day. Yeah, you because know, right. there wasn't much to do. Yeah. And I was doing night watches at night, looking out for pirates and boats. Yeah. And, you know, this is, like, just off the coast of Somalia. Yeah, you've got to keep your eyes peeled. Eventually, we saw land after seven days, and they pretty much dropped me off in this place called Moran Bay. Yeah. Which is... A village in Madagascar where tourists basically never go. So they dropped me off, and I think I had a run with the French guy, and then he went off to the Reunion Islands with his family. And I yeah. met this guy who had really broken English from a time in the capital. And he said, stay with my family. So I li- lived with this. I mean, they, you know, they weren't even... They were just in, like, pants. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a tribe. Yeah. You know, like, they did have some European clothing, and I think I remember a picture of Owen on someone's wall. But mm. they were, like, huts. And right. I stayed there for two weeks. I remember playing, um, you remember Quantum Projects? It was like a Black Alicious DJ Shadow uh, thing. Right, yeah. I remember playing it to the locals with my um, cassette tape. <laughs> and they were all like... Putting, <laughs> <laughs> they were like for the benefit of this, James is doing the generic <laughs> DJ nodding with uh, yeah. hands to the hip. Headphones. So, I mean, I, you know, at night I'd be on this beat, the, Indi- the Indian Ocean in Madagascar. I'd be listening to, like, boards of Canada and just, like proper travelling and yeah. eventually I realised I obviously had to leave this village and this family had been feeding me for two weeks I had to pay them back somehow so yeah. I, uh, and there, there was lots of cholera around and there were no roads out of the village yeah. and I was like I've got to get out and yeah. these people um, met this fisherman basically and he agreed to take me to the major town it would take like four days and there was all this like uh, tribal like drum music around the campfire at night yeah. we slept under the sail a proper adventure and then eventually we got to the bigger town I stayed with one of their cousins mm. I paid them all back <laughs> they all went back yeah. and then I eventually met two American tourists and then we did an overland tour Madagascar and then I eventually went back to South Africa did an overland tour of Namibia and Botswana with 30 tourists so yeah. that got a bit more normal again but it made me think that you don't always have to go down the main route. It's interesting. Yes. And I think that made me, even with music, go, you know, you can go, you can go off piste, and that's absolutely fine. So tell us about this Ivorian track, then. Yeah, so um, it's Oki Seka, my boss, John Moore from Coldcut, mm. is playing it out and playing it on Solid Steel Radio, and yeah. he's picked up on it, and basically you can't really Google him. And it made me think that a part of what I love about music is that mystique sometimes. And with um, Oki Seka, it made me think about some artists I like, like that, like William Onyebor. Yeah, I was just thinking of him. Yeah, the... That mystery. Yeah, like, he did that albums always years ago, and then people are just hearing it now. Mm. Like Chandra Singh, the the guy who basically used... uh, early 303 in his downtime in Bollywood and made like proto-acid house so it mm. makes me think that you know even if you're doing stuff that people aren't appreciating now you just got to keep doing it because you never know mm. 
Ninja then I mean I remember one of the most sort of shocking emails I've ever had and uh, we, we obviously uh, kept in in touch while I wrote my fanzine shadow play and um, you know tried to put you up big for up, as many ninja big tune, up shadow uh, play <laughs> big you. up shadow play <laughs> tried to cover as much as many ninja tune releases as possibly could um, but was informed that you know you were in a road accident about 2008 wasn't it yeah August what, what exactly 2008 happened? I was just cycling back from ninja on my um, Push bike, you know, bicycle. Yeah. And I went across Southwark Bridge as normal, and I was at a traffic light, and it, it went green. I was, you know, in the bicycle box mm. at the front, you know, like the green yeah. box, and I yeah. went forward, and a uh, cement mixer went left, didn't see me, kept on going. There was a railing to my left. Yeah. Had no room for manoeuvre, basically got dragged underneath the cement mixer. I got dragged down 20 metres of the road. Lost a lot of skin off the front of my body and um, was awake for it all. And they took off my trousers and top, yeah. and I had blood everywhere. I think I might have even had Christmas pants on, which is obviously really embarrassing. You don't, <laughs> they do say you have to be careful, don't they? <laughs> you don't expect to be lying in the um, middle of the road in central London 6 pm in August with Christmas pants. But, uh, <laughs> But, uh, Every I, experience yeah, has to be lived. I think I think I did. I definitely had ninja jeans that never got returned. Oh really? So like, ninja jeans, yeah, at the time. And they were called Ijin. Ninja wow. Ijin jeans, I think. <laughs> but um No, but like all in all seriousness, um I couldn't talk because I had a massive hole in my jaw. Because I'd hit my jaw so many times on the road. So I yeah. but I didn't know. So I was trying to talk but I couldn't talk and I had broke like, you know, it's boring going through it all, but Essentially, I couldn't talk, and I went into shock, but I was still awake. Yeah. So I was, like, shaking a lot and some sort of shock. Mm. And then eventually got put into an induced coma for a few days. Mm. I was operated on. Woke up in rural London Hospital. All my, my mum had flown in from... She lived in New Zealand. My brother had flown in from Austria. I woke up, like, a crowd yeah. of loved ones around me. Yeah. Um, my they tell you that you're putting. I mean, I don't know if you're conscious, but they tell you they're well, going to put you. Vague in memory. I mean, when you when you're kind of, you know, without being too blunt, like yeah. when you're dying, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was going dark from the outside in. I just remember everything going very dark, and I remember when I got into the hospital, it was going very dark, mm. and I could still sort of focus on someone above my head who was putting something over my head, saying, "I'm going to put you to sleep now." And then I woke up, and my dad was like doing a few jokes when I woke up about my fantasy football team. Oh, I made a transfer in your fantasy book to see if I, to see if I still... <laughs> oh, I see. That's only great to wake up. That's a, to that's see if I still had my yeah. brain. And, and then I, I could only write things down, but one of the first things I wrote was... I can't remember what I wrote, but... Did you say, it, hands off my striker, yeah. don't, t- hands don't off, change my captain? Hands <laughs> off Leon Osman. But... Um, <laughs> but um, essentially, it was... They, everyone realised that my brain was probably okay. Mm. I was showing that I could communicate with writing. Yeah. Anyway. And when, you know, it was a hairy 
every few weeks. And, but eventually I got better. Yeah. And I didn't lose any limbs, um, just bent fingers and scars and metal jaws. But essentially I, I look fairly normal. You know, it makes, it's cheesy, but it makes you stronger because I lived. And you, re- you do realise after a while how lucky you were. So the next, next song was sort of from around that time. Yeah, no, it definitely from that time. I remember it was like, it was November 2008. I'd just gone back part-time and it was raining outside and it was a weird time. You know, I didn't know. It was just odd being back. And mm. I remember getting an email from Will Ashen who set up Big Dada. Yeah. Saying, so check this demo out, Speech to Bell. And, I, and gave me the album. And I remember like listening to it and I just remember being, connecting with it so strongly. Mm. And just just thinking thank god i'm connecting to this like it's like i can i can do this again i can pick up my career eventually i took it on in january and when we did the first proper single um which is better days which is the track speech to bell better days featuring mm. um the legend is mikachu yeah but um and i remember just listening to that track for the first time i felt i could just listen to it on loop forever that just the whole loop of the tra- produced by a guy called Plutonic Lab in Australia. Mm. haven't really heard from since. Mm. Um, I don't know too much about how it came together because I wasn't around when it was coming together but I could just listen to that production on loop. It's just I guess it's related to Digable Planets. It's that whole jazz, funk, live yeah. instrumentation but, but also the, the better days. The, mm. the, the subject of the lyrics seemed to like, mean a lot to me at the time. And obviously yeah. she won the Mercury and she had her, you know, challenges with the media. And, yeah, me and Speech had a great few years. I, I was such a, f- a fan, of, fan of the music, and it went so well for a while. And, then, yeah. uh, and I'll always sort of, you know, I think, especially in London and music, people are always into the latest. There's so much music, and it yeah. moves around the fads. And, you know, it may be not cool to say you like something from a few years ago. You've got to like the latest hip thing. And, yeah. But I'll, I'll always stand by that Speech to Bell record. It's quality. Mm. And her, she did a second album for Ninja, and that was wicked, really well-received. Mm. I mean, just at the end of the day, it didn't go top ten. Yeah. You know, you can't tell the public what to buy. No. But I think there's a, there's a definite quality to her. And, you know, she's precocious. But some, <laughs> some, some of the, the, the most interesting artists are. into the desert for this podcast. Um, is it the same desert island as Desert Island is? No, we, we, we're putting you uh, slightly less hospitable. We, we put you in the desert 
But we do give you, instead of the Bible complete work, work Shakespeare, a bit of hackneyed, you know, in my opinion. Yeah. We give you the full Red Dwarf box set and uh, the Tiger Who Came to Tea, and, and we allow you to have another... Is that including the last few series of Red Dwarf? You can keep them. I mean, yeah. yeah. It, it is <laughs> that, optional. That weird especially coronation... Especially the one for Dave. The Coronation yeah. Street one was a bit Yeah, weird, that, was, wasn't it? that was hard, wasn't yeah. it? That really was. Yeah. Um, but we, uh, we also afford you another luxury item. Um, what would you fancy? Football manager, mobile. Oh, OK, yeah. That gets, would, quite, uh, gets quite addictive. That would while away the hours. So if I had um, <laughs> football manager mobile with a battery that never ran out... Yeah. Um, one that somehow synced into England with the current seat, the, mm-hmm. the right players for every year. Yes, you know so, we're playing with regen players. And uh, how do you think you'd cope, Cast? Uh, are you quite, are you quite a practical, dexterous person? I'd probably worry a lot for the beginning. Yeah. Um, as I do, but then be absolutely fine <laughs> once I, you know, got my systems, my routines. Yeah. You know, breakfast at this time. Going, you know, I mean, I'm vegetarian, but going catch some tofu mm-hmm. another time like, <laughs> uh, I'd probably be alright so what's your final choice that you've got for us yeah so I mean there's many I mean speech to bells on Big Dada but there's many Ninja Nats which are I mean it's just so hard there's Amon Tovin there's Bonobo I love them all but <laughs> um, but Cinematic Orchestra yeah. I think just because I mean they're so standalone and brilliant but also I went on tour with them when I first started in Ninja um, I'm still working with them to this day. So, um, and also, I've chosen a track which technically wasn't on Ninja. It was on Disney. It was from one of their the Crimson Wing film soundtrack. Oh, right. Cinematic had been there for a long, a, a long time for me since so I started at Ninja. My brother is obsessed by them. He went to see them twice recently, and he doesn't work in music, mm. but um, he he's a massive Cinematic Orchestra fan. And yeah. Um, my partner loves Cinematic Orchestra and whenever I go to see them with her and the, the track Breathe comes on, yeah. it's just a, a feeling of like unity mm. and it's just, they're a very spiritual, spiritual band I think, mm. that, you know, beyond genre and a lot of depth to it and um, people I love seem to love them as well, whereas a you know, sometimes I promote music, no one knows what it is. But, uh, you know, in terms of family, this is Arrival of the Birds, it's yeah. the track name. It's quite, um, you know, very melodic. It's just incredibly emotive in the way that, you know, cinematic orchestra are one of the best at it, just getting to the core, yeah. the core of some, something in you. Yeah. And that's why I've chosen it. And also because I went to see Theory of Everything mm. with um, my partner recently. The song came on at the end as the last scene, mm. and I had no idea. Like, possibly I'd missed an email. <laughs> but also, it was on Disney, that album. I heard you blustered out. So yeah. Yes, of course I organised yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So it was, you know, I think sometimes in our jobs, you know, you kind of feel like you know everything before it's happened because you get the press releases, mm. all the, the embargo shit, and, yes. you know, you can't say this, you know, like, you kind yeah. of takes a surprise out of life, mm. you know. But I was just sat there watching it. And, you know, especially as my partner loves the band. And then it came on, I was like... <laughs> like you know, I was genuinely, genuinely excited. Thanks so much. For yeah, it's, um, this, I think uh, we'll let Cinematic Orchestra play us out. But Jay, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure. It's an honour. Uh, thank you to listeners for, for joining us. And uh, do join us again next time. That's thank great. you so much.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 